Welcome back to another episode of The Huddle. We said we were going to go bigger and better and we've done just that. We're going to set the bar extremely high. I'm really excited for you to hear this chat with Bryce Cotton, one of the greatest of all time. He's going to talk about his journey to Perth, a lot about his childhood and his family. And I'm not going to touch too much on the citizenship because I'm sick of hearing it. I know he's sick of hearing about it. But why does he love Australia? We'll get to the bottom of that. So enjoy this chat with one of the best you'll ever see. I had said if push came to shove and I ended up playing overseas, I had said I would probably just retire. And when I came to Perth, you know, my love for the game went back through the roof. So you're telling me Bryce's checklist on the mirror is nowhere near full enough yet for what you want to do here in India? It's not done yet. Uh, I'll let y'all know when I've done it. <laughs> Trust me. Well, Bryce, we said we were going to get the best on and we've gone straight to the top, man. So we appreciate you jumping on the huddle and having a chat. Firstly, how are you feeling? Yeah, yeah, feeling good. Obviously, it's still uh, early in the season, so everybody's feeling fresh, uh, so I can't complain. Now, I thought when I asked how you're feeling, you are going to talk about last weekend because I saw it on socials. Everybody saw Collingwood Cotton. It's a thing now. You've won MVPs. You've won championships, <laughs> scoring titles. And now, technically, you're an AFL Premiership player. Talk to me a little bit about your weekend. You are a Collingwood supporter. Yeah, I mean, well, if, if you're on the black and white side, we all knew this was coming. Uh, so it was pretty much a surprise to all the outsiders. But, yeah, we saw this a mile away. Now, you've told me a couple of times how you became a Collingwood supporter. For those who haven't heard, because I have a theory as to why you decided to, to jump on the Magpies, but you tell everybody again how this happened. So when COVID happened and this was the only sport left in the world, uh, by default, I watched every footy game just because I wanted to watch some type of sport. And uh, yeah, I just kind of liked the way they played. They seemed pretty consistent every, uh, every week. They didn't win every game, but I, I felt like I saw the same team every time they went out there. And then somebody had told me that was the worst team to go for. Everybody hates them. And that sealed the deal for me that that was going to be my favorite team once I heard that. So that's kind of where my theory came in. Because I think, I'm trying to think about all the other elite sports people in Australia and who is the most universally loved and I think you're up there I'm not actually sure I've ever met anybody that can't stand you for any reason uh, the only other comparison Marcus Bontempelli maybe from the Bulldogs like universally loved as a pro sportsman I think that you just want some haters I think you want people to not like you and you said you know what? I'm going for Collingwood because that's the only reason I could assume you would follow such a filth organization they, they are very successful but everybody hates them if you're not Collingwood fans Hey, it's, sometimes that's all right, you know, and obviously being here in WA, there's not many uh, sports teams. It's usually the East Coast team, so I'm, I'm real familiar with the uh, us against the world mentality, so I, I welcome it. Do you actually enjoy watching the game? Do you understand all the rules? I understand most of it, yeah, and I can tell you um, pretty much all the players for the majority of the teams, what they're good at, so uh, I know enough to hold some conversation. Well, I'm still happy because it means that you're further jumping in on, on loving Australia. Now, I don't want to get into your citizenship too much. I know you're sick of talking about it. Everybody's going to keep bringing it up in the media. But what I do want to talk about is your love for Australia overall. Firstly, did you ever expect to fall in love with the lifestyle and living in another country other than what you knew growing up? No, not at all. Um, I remember, I remember saying to one of my teammates, actually, when I was in uh, college, we were talking about when we were like getting ready to graduate and I had said if push came to shove and I ended up playing overseas, I had said I would probably just retire. 
Um, so it shows how much my mind uh, and my life has adapted from that statement. So it didn't age well, but I'm glad because uh, I love it out here. And to me, it's just a uh, kinder version of America in a lot of ways and much safer. What are the couple of those things you love about Australian culture? So we talk about coffee is a big lifestyle here. Are you a coffee man? I'm not. So any any selling points that most people will like about <laughs> Australia, that's probably not mine. But, um, but you've got the Vegemite? Have you not know, on the Vegemite wagon yet? Absolutely not. So the things I do like about Australia, you got me talking about all the <laughs> things I don't. Um, I, I just love the fact that with Perth in particular, it's such a laid back place. You might have fast place uh, cities like Sydney or Melbourne, but this is kind of more my speed, similar to where I grew up. This is probably a little bit faster than where I grew up, but I like that. And the fact that there's a new scenery as far as having a beach, pretty much no matter what uh, side of the town you're going to be on. I love that. It beats looking at dirt and cactus. So um, just, yeah, pretty much the simple things. And the fact that I'm in a uh, foreign country and everybody speaks English as a first language, that was huge for me, um, considering all the other places I've been. So it's been an easy transition. And then I found, a, a you know, made a family out here. So uh I can't really ask for much more. When at, do you remember a specific point where throughout your journey since you touched down, and we will talk about how you got to the Wildcats, where you thought, this is actually going to be home for me. Not just, okay, I'm going to play the season for the NBL, then maybe go overseas, but I literally want to plant my roots down. And then you found a family, you've got a beautiful family. Do you remember any specific points when that happened? Not overly. Like, after coming here, I always knew I would go back as far as maybe not necessarily to play, but I always knew I would come back and visit Australia just because I loved it so much. But as far as thinking about, yeah, living here, um, I would say probably around 2019 is when those thoughts really started to become a little bit more prominent. And I was like, oh, you know what? Maybe I think I can, I can do this. Like it does make sense weighing out the pros and cons. So what are we in, 2023, about four years ago. Do you have any thoughts about obviously raising children in Australia compared to the childhood you growing up in the States? Because it's something that I'm going through very similar with an American wife, but uh, it is very different to a lot of places of people growing up in America. Does it excite you to do that here? Yeah, it's exciting for me just because, you know, some of the things that my daughter has experienced in her, you know, three years of life are some things I hadn't experienced until maybe I was close to heading off to college, you know, or heading off to college. So it's just great to see the how much of a head start she has in life compared to what I had. That's what excites me the most. Now you said, so I understand you're not a coffee, coffee man, not a Vegemite man, but are you like the token, do you like in a beer after a game? Or how do you wind down? What's the, I, just, I could imagine Bryce Cotton sipping maybe a little double whiskey or something before bed, but are you, what are you, what are we talking about here? <laughs> uh... For me, honestly, man, after the game, I just kind of stay up. I wait for like my wife and my kid to go to bed, and then I'll just watch movies or something, just kind of to myself. Uh, that's that's kind of my way of winding down, being so busy throughout the day. I like the late nights of just having time to myself, but I don't, yeah, I don't need a drink to wind down though. We, we see you on the court, obviously, one of the best players we've ever seen, fierce competitor, incredibly humble as well. What kind of father is Bryce Cotton? Like what, are you going to be one of those, when your little one's playing sport, are you going to be up and in on the sidelines? Are you going to be vocal? Like what kind of dad are we looking at here from one of the greatest? 
Um, I would like to think I'm going to be a quiet one. Just going to, you know, watch her and whatever I need to say, I'll probably say it in private if she asks for anything. But yeah, I'll try to keep the same demeanor I always do because that, in theory, that's her life and that's her experience. And I'm just there to enjoy the ride. And, you know, if she has any questions, then I might be vocal. But other than that, no, I'll still, I'll still be chill as ever. Hey, are you gonna, is there any sort of pushing towards basketball? Is that what you want to see? Or are you just going to let whatever happens happen? Yeah, no, whatever happens happens. I, I really don't care. As long as she's doing something that she's happy about, then I'm, I'm all for it. Now, I know you are a big family man. You've got your family now you just spoke about. But your family back home, you had a big contingent of them over in Vegas when you were playing the G League Ignite. Tell us a little bit about what that meant to you. Yeah, it was good. Um, obviously, being so far away from home for such a long time, it was very uh, nostalgic for me to have so many relatives and uh, close friends watching the game. Kind of reminded me of back when I was in high school. So that was a really cool feeling that uh, I haven't got to experience in a very long time. Your grandfather was at the second game, I believe. Hadn't seen you play for a very long time. Is that true? Yeah, yeah. So I had been told he was going to come up to uh, to drive to the game. Well, they were going to somebody was going to be with him to help him uh, drive to the game and. As a kid, you know, I never remembered him going to any sporting events I had, like seeing me play in person. So that was a pretty huge deal uh, for me getting news of that. And uh, yeah, luckily, um, it was the second game that they said he was coming up <laughs> and it was a good game. So um I was happy about that. A lot of people would have thought like that kind of moment wouldn't affect a player who's played professionally for so long. I mean, you're 30 plus now and you've played overseas, but it sounds like that was pretty special to you. It was very special to me because um, being so far away from home, you know, a lot of things can happen when you're gone for eight to nine months out of the year. You know, you lose family members and stuff like that. There's things you don't get back. And growing up, uh, grandparents were a huge, huge deal to me. I was always close with my grandparents, so um, the significance of taking the time out to, you know, not fly, you know, but hearing that they're going to drive up, that was a huge deal to me, and that's stuff I don't take lightly. Because, um, yeah, that's grandparents are a very important thing to me in my life. I've had the pleasure of talking to you a lot about where you came from and growing up, but you mentioned your grandparents and, and your family. How important were they to you when you when you were growing up? And I'm talking uh, around the time you talk about where you were number 11 and, and the diagnosis you got. Can you shed us a little bit of light on that? Yeah, grandparents and, and great-grandparents, they were everything to me because uh, they took on more of a parental role, I would say, like probably in my early years from probably my first 10 years of my life, I spent more time with my grand and my great-grandmother than I did my mom just because she was, you know, so busy working. So, you know, my grand and my grand great-grandmother and her brother, they would look after me and my older brother. So uh, I basically had, what, basically three moms growing up. So uh, they meant so much to me. And then obviously with my grandfathers on both sides, um, it's... It's been a, it's been a very interesting dynamic because I just felt like I had so many different parents. They didn't. I never viewed any of my grandparents as that, if that makes sense. 
is do you take little pieces from from each of them then in, in terms of the father you are obviously with a three-year-old now how did they make you feel but obviously the news becoming a father at the time compared to everything that you've known and learned i mean a lot of things was you know learning on the fly uh i would say for me just being being my mom my grandma my great-grandmother <laughs> you know i'm being surrounded more from the the maternal outlook so uh trying to fill those I guess fatherly roles. Uh, you're just kind of doing what you what you think it should be. Um, and then my mom's dad, so called him Papa. I got to understand him a little bit better as I got older. So I would say I kind of recollect on different things he's taught me before I went off to college, um, and that kind of helps me now to this day because. Um, there's only one grandparent left, so yeah, there's always a lot of reflection on just what I was taught or the impacts that they had on me, and I try to branch that over into um, how I am as a parent and person. Well, and I think we can see a lot of that without knowing them. We, we see that the person you are, and I'm sure that I'll be incredibly proud. You mentioned reflecting a lot and a lot of things that have happened. Why you wear number 11, and it's something you think about every day. Can you just fill us in on all that again? Yeah, so uh, when I was about nine, I developed a rare form of epilepsy. The doctors didn't know what it was at the time, and it progressively got had gotten worse uh, probably every four to six months, and they didn't know what was going on. They told my mom, plan for the funeral, because I wouldn't make it past sixth grade, which would have meant I would have died at 11. So um, in addition to me always wearing the number 11 any chance I had through sports, um, you know, finding that out, it just added a little bit more significance to me of just whenever I look at 11, it reminds me of what I've overcome and the opportunity that I have to still be doing what I love to do. So it's a great reminder when things are going great for me um, on the floor with basketball. And it's a great reminder for me when things aren't going that well. And maybe, you know, I'm a little upset or feeling a certain way about my play. It's just a good reminder when I see that 11 and helps me put things into perspective and um, kind of refocus. It's an unbelievable story that not many would know unless they hear it from you and we appreciate you being open with it. Do you remember around the time, obviously it was a long time ago, the, the feelings and the emotions, was the family the big thing to help you kind of get through that? And obviously it's, you won't hear much worse news at nine years old, I can, couldn't imagine. My mom and my grandma, like I, I can't emphasize it enough. They prayed so much for me. They used to keep, keep instilling in me, telling me keep the faith to continue to pray um, and just have faith that God was going to pull through for me. And that's what I leaned on. And just seeing how confident they were, I'm sure they were worried behind the scenes, but whenever they talked to me, they put on their brave face and they, they made me believe that what they were saying was true. And that gave me hope and that went a long way with me. And, um, you know, even to this day, I still like one of my first, one of my first tattoos, not the first, I have keep the faith here. Um, so it's a reminder of what my mom and grand used to always tell me as a kid in crucial times. It's unbelievable to, to look back and hearing that. And I'm sure your family feels the same. After you were growing up and you started to put the ball in your hands, the decision to go to college to Providence, you weren't highly recruited. It wasn't like you had made a massive scene and had the offers coming in. Talk to me a little bit about it because I want to I wanted dive into the Providence memories because I was about six months away from playing you in college and I really wish I had that chance. 
Really? When? We played, we played Providence the game after you graduated. So the following year, played against Chris Dunn in their home opener oh, okay. against the Friars. Okay. So you had just moved on, and I would have loved to have got, gone back now and talked about that. Yeah, that's, uh, that's crazy. Yeah, so going, going off to the Prov memories, um, just rewinding that, like saying how my mom and grand used to always say, keep a firm faith in God. Providence, by definition, if you look up what it means, it means God's care for his creatures. And um, I always found that very ironic that that was the only school I had a scholarship to go to. And, of course, it had something to do with God. So uh, I always found that pretty cool. But uh, I'm forever grateful that I got a scholarship to go to Providence. They offered me probably, I don't know, anywhere between five days to a week before school started. And I know for a fact if I had any other scholarships, including Prov, I would have never went there. Because it was the Big East school, and the fact that I was getting turned down by D2s, as well as like schools like Montana State that said, you know, they just had guys that were better than me at their position. There was no way in the world I would have thought uh, a Big East school would have played me. So I guess God had other things in store. Luckily, I had no choice but to have to try to make it work at Providence. And I had so many great memories there. Um, we won a Big East championship my senior year when they uh, reconstructed the new Big East. And then my junior year, the last year of the you know real Big East, as, as some of us like to call it, uh, I was the last leading scorer in that, in that Big East and I did it on a torn meniscus. So, um, and I was first team all league uh, that year. So a lot of great memories that um, I guess caught me, uh, caught me by surprise. Well, speaking of catching by surprise, Bryce, you're telling me Division Two schools turned down Bryce Cotton. 100%. And to double down on that, the guy who was recruiting me was from Tucson, Arizona. Go figure. Not many of us get out of Tucson. And you would think, at least if, if we are out there, we're going to stick together. But, yeah, that's, that's not what happened. Have you had any run-in or anything? Because I've got a very similar story with that with a D2 school down the road from where I went to college. Uh, no, it was Chico State, though. It was it was Chico State. I can tell you that <laughs> they were one of many. Now, I, <laughs> I read a I read a thing as well that you actually had a really close relationship with a literature professor. Is that the case? Uh, yeah, at Providence. Yes. Yeah. So a lot of people assume when you a great player at college in a Division One Big East that you don't go to class. There's I've heard stories of many people. Rodney Clark. I've heard all these stories about people who go to, to Division One schools, higher ones that. Um, I had that notoriety and they don't show up, they maybe sign some shoes or anything, but it sounds like you, you were going to class a lot and you were enjoying that part of life as well. I was, and you know, you got to remember how I came in. I, I, I barely made it into college, just I don't know how or why they gave me the scholarship, but they did, so I wasn't going to cut any corners and I wasn't going to give them any reason to uh, send me back to Tucson, so I made sure my grades was right. Now, from college, and we spoke a little bit about you, you arriving at the Wildcats, but you played in China, you played uh, over in Europe as well. Talk to me about how Perth even came about, because obviously it was late in the season, and you came when you first arrived to Perth expecting to be here for a few weeks, and I would assume just head back home after. Yeah. Um, yeah, so this is around the time, this is like 2016, 2017 season, and ISIS was pretty prominent in Turkey. Um, so there was a lot of like terrorist acts going on and it started getting closer and closer to the city I was in, which was Istanbul. And eventually um, a bomb had went off uh, not too far from the apartment I stayed in. It was probably 20 minutes from there. 
followed by like lots of gunfire and um there was other things going on but when that happened it was just like okay that's that's the nail in the coffin for me like i'm i'm not enjoying this out here it's not safe um last thing i want to be worried about is safety when i'm so far from home so my agent gave me um i had two offers so i could either go to russia go figure see how see how that is now <laughs> or he said i can go to perth who i think was last or second on the ladder second to the last on the ladder and he said they probably won't make playoffs and you can just uh go there for six weeks and then you can reset for an off season and i was like perfect sign me up and uh, that's how i ended up out here and then the rest is history for for that year but you did speak a little bit about that six weeks that you rediscovered the love for the game of basketball did you lose that or was it not quite to its maximum potential because of where you were at in turkey or was it something that happened after college or how did that come about a little bit of everything you know me feeling like uh i guess i was fresh out of the nba at that point and i didn't feel like i really played myself out of the league i felt with every opportunity i got i showed i can hold my own when given the chance so being frustrated with being outside of the league and then also remembering the conversation I told my teammate, you know, if I have to play overseas, I'll probably retire. So you have to remember when I go over there, this is my first um, overseas experience. And then you got all this terrorist stuff happening. And I said to myself at, at one practice, I haven't told many people that, but at one practice uh, when I was in Turkey, I said to myself, I got two years max left of this. If this is what my career is like. And I was, that would have meant I would have retired at like 26. And when I came to Perth, you know, my love for the game went back through the roof. It was safe. You know, they were letting me play the game to my abilities, which I knew how, and it kind of helped me channel some of the anger I had for not still being in the NBA um, and seeing my work pay off in, in another fashion. It just brought all my love back for the game. And uh, I've been coming back ever since, and it's repaid me in more ways than one, not just from the basketball standpoint, but like I said, it's bled over into other life aspects now. Now, you mentioned just when you were to Turkey, the bombs and the gunfire. Were you hearing all that? Is that the case when you were sleeping, or you just saw it on the news? No, I saw that on the on the news, and that was that was good enough for me. Like. How do you how do you deal with that? Because you you mentioned and I love the quote of how you if you're going overseas you were going to retire, but when everyone talks about playing professionally overseas, that that's never the case. No one's ever thinking I might be in a territory that there's a lot of war going on. There's it's all that kind of stuff. Everyone thinks you're just going to get paid well, hopefully, and play play basketball. So I'm assuming that was just very confronting. Yeah, I mean, I had no expectations of what the overseas life was going to be. I guess which kind of helped me a little bit but the thing that i've learned since then is just you know there's no there's no set standard of what overseas life is like it depends on where you're at there's so many different levels so um you still almost have to go into every situation uh i guess with no expectations because you never know what you're going to get and for me um understanding what i got the first time i came out here knowing some compromises or some sacrifices I would make being here, but it was worth the overall picture of what I wanted my life to be like as well as my professional career. So 
it was it was worth the gamble, I would say. We are extremely thrilled that you took that gamble, by the way, and hope that you continue to stay around for many more years yet. You mentioned a little bit there the anger of not being in the NBA. For a lot of us who have followed your career and are lucky enough to, to try and play against you for a couple of years, I would assume that there was a little bit of that frustration for the last six or seven years. And do you watch much NBA? Because I do, and I'm thinking there is absolutely no reason why Bryce Collins not on this floor right now. I can watch it now. So the first, uh, the first probably three years or so when I started playing overseas. So yeah, from the time, from the time I came to Australia till probably around when COVID hit, I think I could start watching basketball, like NBA basketball, around there again to where it didn't necessarily bother me because I just. I understand it has nothing to do with my talent. Sometimes you might get caught up in numbers games or whatever and things don't pan out. But I, understanding and accepting it has nothing to do with my ability helps me sleep at night. And, um, you know, even that, that one game we played the Nuggets a few years back and I was able to score 33, that was just another reminder of, like, okay, um, I'm not the problem. It's just, you know, I'm not the first person this happened to. Won't be the last, but it's still a blessing that I was ever – able to put on a jersey, um, knowing the journey I had from the start. Does, do you take every single time, like you said those three years you weren't watching it, where it clearly the motivation, you didn't need any more motivation to play at a high level, but to put in extra work saying, no matter what happens, they're gonna know that I'm gonna make myself something out here if it's not in the NBA, and you're gonna go down as one of the greatest of all time, no matter when you finish. But did that kind of fuel that on? No, I don't want to say it fueled it on because I'm always built like that. Wherever I'm at, I'm going to try to be uh, the best I could be. And even though I've still uh, accepted, I guess, that NBA situation for what it is, I'm still just as motivated now in the NBL um, as I was back then. It's just uh, I'm motivated in different ways. The GOAT conversation is going to continue to come up and the greatest import of all time. I mean, you've got a great resume already. Do you enjoy just being in the conversation? Do you enjoy when people make debates and, and go with it all? Because I can imagine you growing up, you wouldn't even think that that conversation or tagline when you're nine years old would even be possible for you. Yeah, I, I never thought of it before, but um, obviously I'm in those conversations now. So uh, I'm just, I'm still got some boxes I want to tick and um for me, no, like just being in the conversation isn't enough, but I don't rest my validation on what other people uh, think of me or what they rank me. I go off of how I genuinely rank myself uh, in the history of this league. And in my mind, um, there's things I want to get done before I'm done playing. And then if I could live with how I see myself for what I need to do, that'll be the most important thing. So you're telling me Bryce's checklist on the mirror is nowhere near full enough yet for what you want to do here in the It's not done yet. Uh, I'll let y'all know when I've done it. <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> well, well, I don't know if you will. You're one of the most humble guys that we have. But tell us a little about this team. It's an exciting team. You, we talk about the championships that you've won, the, the pieces that are put together. And uh, one of your next stars in Alex Saar looks like a tremendous pickup. If you want to start with him, he's destined for bigger and better things. But what's it like playing alongside and what's it like mentoring a, a kid of his age with his potential? I mean, it, it's great, obviously. he's uh, He's got so much potential, like you said. It's crazy. And the way he picks up on things and starts to get his feel for the game as the weeks continue to go on, I think he's done a great job 
adjusting to, I guess, the NBL style of play. And still, it's only, you know, two games in, so we got so much more time. But his attitude, I think, is the biggest component for why he'll continue to get better because he has no ego at all. And I've seen that plenty of times where a player might be extremely talented and skilled and have all this potential, but their mind is the one thing that stops him. And um, I don't think that'll be the case, at least from what I've seen from Alex so far. Another one, a great signing that the Red Army have clearly fallen in love with already is Jordan Usher. Now, you've played on some Perth Wildcats teams that have those fan favourites, have those guys who just get the crowd going. Obviously, you do it with your style of play, but... Damian Martin did it with his hustle, Greg Hire with his offensive rebounds that still scar me. But Jordan Usher is an energizer bunny. He said he's going to talk trash whether they're up 30 or down 30. What's he been like to play alongside? <laughs> exactly what y'all see, man. He's, you know, he, he never stops, and we love him for that. You know, the energy that he brings sometimes as a team, we might be a little low. And he's that pick-me-up for, you know, the whole team. And we're aware of that. We rely on him for that. He knows that. So um, I'm loving playing with him. Plus, you know, energy aside, the guy can put the ball in the hole. So um, that's always fun to have a guy like that as well on the floor. And I think it'll be fun once we continue to gel and, and build as a team and I guess masterfully put all these pieces together. It'll be great because I think it's still um, a little bit of a learning learning curve for, for all of us at the moment. But I think we're doing well for the most part so far. I want you to take us all into your mind when someone like Usher on that first game scoring 35. A lot of us know when, when you're taking over games and you're normally not, I guess, a, a Robin to anyone's Batman, which is fair enough. But what, what do you feel like? Because it seems like nobody enjoys teammate success more than Bryce Cotton, which is incredible to think normally that's going to be you. You seem to enjoy that on Friday night. Yeah, I mean, I honestly, man, I just I want to win. You know, for me, it's not about individual um, adoration or you know who gets player of the game. I've you know I've been blessed to do all of those things, and nothing has given me a greater feeling than winning. So when I see guys that are playing extremely um, out of this world on any given night, I love it because to me that just shows like okay, this is something that we can rely on come later in the season or you know in the playoffs if we make it so that's tremendous and it honestly reminded me when I played with Vic Law opening night Vic had 37 so um it was a little bit of deja vu how do you stay at such a high level because you mentioned the run you've been on since you arrived and from that six weeks it's been unbelievable scoring titles the MVPs and you're showing no signs of slowing down and as someone who had to try and guard you in a couple of games, your motor is something that's always impressed me. Are you do a heap of conditioning? Do you make sure you eat right? What What's the secret? If Bryce has the secret stuff, we'd all like to know what it is. <laughs> yeah, uh, a little bit of that. I uh, definitely watch what I eat, but the biggest thing is just my conditioning in the offseason. Like, I do a good job making sure my body is primed to run the way I do um, come season time. And I just, I do a good job just maintaining once the season starts. I'm not a guy that's going to be going too crazy uh, once the season starts after practice or before practice because um, my motto is the season's not the time to get better. If you're using the season to get better, then you're too late. So Now, lastly, we appreciate all your time. You are wearing a, a special polo, the, the pink game for the Perth Wildcats, and it uh, means a lot to everybody over there. Tell us a little bit how special it is for you. Yeah, it's great. I think this is our seventh game now doing this, and obviously this started with 
uh, our former coach Trev and um, the situation with his wife Dawn. Like it started off as something small and it's grown more and more each year. And I think I think over the years it's raised maybe close to two hundred fifty thousand or something like that. So. For us to be able to play even the smallest part in such a great cause is amazing, you know, and uh, I'd like to think that, you know, it's, you know, the best of both worlds with the platform that we have. We get to go play a game while raising awareness for something that affects so many different people's lives, not just in Australia, but, you know, essentially across the world. So it's, it's just a great uh, platform for this cause. No, it's a beautiful thing and we, I think everybody loves, not just Perth fans, but everyone loves to celebrate what a beautiful thing they put on with that pink game. I, I do have to ask before we let you go, have you thought about what's next for Bryce Cotton? And, and you've talked about you've got so much more left to tick off in playing hoops, but I'm just wondering what is what does greatness go to after the ball stops? Um, well, it's not so much more to tick off. It's just a couple more things I need to tick off. But... Are you going to tell anybody that or is that just hidden on the on the on the whiteboard once i do it i'll tell i'll tell you okay but, i'll hold you to it um yeah for me honestly man i would love to do sports commentary not necessarily the stuff from the live feed where like you're talking out of the timeouts but stuff like what you do or when you guys speak at halftime things like that like you copes and, and all y'all i'd love to do something like that because i i just love the game i love hoops i'm very familiar with this league and its history. So uh, that would be very exciting to be on the other side of the fence um, of a league that I've grown to love from the player side. And then I get to share my, I guess, knowledge and opinions of the game. After that, that'd be pretty cool. I have absolutely, I've never been more certain of anything in my life saying that you have no problems walking into that whenever you decide to do it. Because not only are you incredibly humble, but you're great as a basketball player. And I'm sure you'll be even, even better at breaking down the game when we get that chance. Um, I hope to be able to do something with you. We can pitch a show together if you want. If you want to come up with a show in your downtime, well, let's get it rolling. I'm all for it, man. Bryce, we appreciate your time, man. Good luck for the rest of the season. And I hope you take a couple more things off uh, already earlier because I want to know exactly what they are. So good luck <laughs> and thanks for your time. You and me both. Thanks, man.